a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what is going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist, and Keith, it's great to be with you. This week, we're diving into the topic of happiness. Now, more specifically, a UN report that's found the world's economic and military powerhouses aren't necessarily producing happy citizens. Now, from it, we've learned the globe's biggest military spenders are the US, China, Russia and India, and they rank similarly when it comes to the strength of their economies. Now, this has all come from the 2022 World Happiness Report published by the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network. Keith, the basis for a lot of the spending done by these countries is that it's bettering the lives of their people But has this report put a big question mark on that? Yes, it has. So this is an article by Lawrence Whitner, who um, has taught at the State University of New York at Albany and has written a lot about peace movements, foreign policy and economic inequality. So as you say, he's been reading this new United Nations Sustainable Development Report. And it really is fascinating because he's making the point that some of the countries in the world are very rich, very powerful but their own citizens may not be all that happy. That's the the essence uh, that he's trying to get at. So on the one hand, as you say, you've got the United States, China, India, and Russia are all the big military spenders. Indeed, uh, between them, they're spending almost 60% of all the world's military expenditure. So we've got 200 countries in the world, but here you've got four who are spending 60%. The bulk of the money goes into four countries. So they're the big spenders on military defence. But when you actually look at the happiness of people, my problem is I don't know how to define happiness. Uh, so that's one of my difficulties. But presumably the people who wrote this report knew what I ha- what, how you do define it. They did interview 150,000 people in 146 countries. So it's quite a, a good number. It's a big study. It's, it's a big study. It certainly is a big study. And uh, so the, the survey was carried out and it showed that, in fact, The people who were happiest were not those with the biggest military spenders or necessarily the world's richest countries. Um, I noticed that in the report they talk about the world's billionaires and there's a similar ranking. So the country with the most billionaires, the United States, followed by China and then India, and Russia comes in at number five. So a huge amount of wealth concentrated in small numbers of people. But then you ask, well, who are the happiest countries in the world? Well, yeah, this this report shined a light, unsurprisingly. It seems it's the Scandinavian countries winning out once again. Yeah, as always, it gets so boring to see the Scandinavians. (laughs) You know, every survey, they always come out top. The number of women in parliament, the amount of foreign aid that they give, it's always these boring Scandinavians. So the top happiest countries, top 10 in the year 2022, uh, were Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, Netherlands, Luxembourg, Sweden, Norway, Israel, and New Zealand. Now, the last two are a bit unusual, uh, Israel and New Zealand. Obviously, neither is uh, in Europe. The rest are all in, in Western Europe. 
and in particular the predominance of those Scandinavian countries who always seem to come top of everything. What do you think the difference is then between, you know, these countries, um, the top big four military spenders, what what their policies are for their citizens compared to these Scandinavian countries? Like, can we draw any, like, clear differences between those two groupings? I think we can in the sense that uh, some countries can find money for war but not for peace. So the average American is finding life very difficult at the moment. Sure, you've got the Jeff Bezos of this world who are doing very well, but many ordinary Americans, um, there's a study produced by um, the equivalent of what we would have as the Reserve Bank, and they looked at the number of Americans who could not find something like $4,000 as an emergency payment. And it was something like 40% of the country could not put their hands on that amount of cash instantly. It just wasn't in their bank accounts. And a lot of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. This is not a healthy way to live. And of course, you, if you look at what goes on, say, in Russia, and we were discussing Russia a great deal because of Ukraine, you know, the ordinary Russians, once you get outside the big cities, ordinary Russians have a very hard life as well. The climate's against you to start with for much of, at least certainly northern Russia. It's pretty grim. I've been in Russia on a number of occasions. They take their winters seriously. So the life is pretty grim in the pine forests, but they are spending huge sums of money on defence, whereas the the Scandinavians and others have made a clear decision that they're going to spend money on, for example, substantial public services. So on my trips to Scandinavia, for example, you just get on public transport and the head of corporations get on public transport. They're not going around in Mercedes or Rolls Royces very different from the uh, luxurious lifestyle that we see in certain other countries like the Americans, for example. So there's no shame in in travelling on public transport if you're in one of those Scandinavian countries, even if you're the head of a major corporation, perhaps who even owns the company that supplies the buses. You know, you're still happy to travel. Um, So for me, it's fascinating that there is this thing called social solidarity. And social solidarity Uh, means that everybody is in it together, to use the slogan from COVID. And it also, I think, goes back to the whole question of of how we structure tax, for example. So um, if you go back to the United States in the 1950s, they had a high level of taxation being paid by all Americans. So at the time of the Eisenhower Republican administration, it was something of the order of the highest tax rate was something like 90 cents in the dollar even in a Republican president. Yeah, so that's people huge. paid a lot of tax and they yeah. got a lot of services. And then in 1978, you get what's called the Taxpayers' Revolt in California. California uh, is weird. You not only elect politicians, but you also determine what policies they will implement once they get elected, mm-hmm. irrespective of their own party platform <laughs> at the time. Okay. And in 1978, uh, people in California deliberately voted to cut back on taxation, knowing they were going to get a cutback on public services. And so we, in the Western world, the English-speaking world, are very much uh, committed to this notion of very low tax rate and limited provision of public services. Whereas if you're living in Scandinavian countries, for example, you're paying a very high rate of tax, but then you don't have to worry about housing or health, et cetera. Uh, you know, the, you, you would never have anybody bankrupted because of a healthcare bill, whereas in the United States, personal bankruptcy, most common form, 
is due to people being unable to pay a hospital bill. Yeah, right. Well, so conversely, for some context, can we look at what sort of money nations like India and Russia are spending on their militaries and, and their nuclear weapons compared to things like universal health care and those those social policies that you've talked about? Yeah, so obviously much more money is going into the military than going into the level of health care. So looking at the survey which has um, been conducted here is that we see quite clearly how they're spending far more money, countries like India and Russia, spending far more money on the military than they do on health care. For me, it's fascinating that, they okay, you've got certain countries that are very militarily powerful, but their individual citizens are not benefiting from this. As they say, we can find money for war, but not for peace. You're listening uh, to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Barbagat. And Keith, today we are talking about this global happiness report that's come out of uh, the UN. Now, we were just kind of talking about the difference in in these countries and, and their policies in terms of military spends versus, you know, universal health care and things like that. But distribution of wealth has also been a big factor overall um, in affecting the happiness of citizens, according to this report. Do you have any further insights on that? Yeah, so this is um, an article by Lawrence um, Whitner, um, an American academic. And what he's done is to point out that the happiest nations also stand out for their relatively egalitarian distribution of wealth. So each of the 10 happiest countries, except Israel, has greater equality of wealth than do the four major military economic powers. So what they're saying is that these are countries that have deliberately opted for a high rate of taxation and you do not get this huge disparity between the super rich and the poor. And if anything, you know, people would be embarrassed to be seen as being um, living a luxurious lifestyle, you know, the Kim Kardashian type lifestyle. This is not how the Scandinavians behave that sort of flaunting, in-your-face type of wealth. So these are societies where people look at the world very differently. I teach on the Sydney campus of Boston University, and, of course, student debt is a major issue in the United States, whereas if they were to go to Europe, they'd get education at university level for free. It's such a difference, isn't it? It's such a difference. Yeah. Um, So uh, we see a correlation with things like that and then the general happiness of, of, you know, the citizens of that country. Is that right? Yeah, so people are happier in societies where you have a better distribution of wealth. That that seems to be the le- the learning from this report. A lot of us equate a higher income with more happiness, but according to this report, that's not necessarily ringing true, is it? Yes, there is a a, a general feeling that when you get up to a level of income at around sixty, seventy thousand US dollars per year, that in fact your quest for happiness changes. Um, the the suggestion has been that you are no longer plagued by worries about where your meal is going to come from, how you're going to pay for your kid's education. I, d- I don't think it's necessarily saying, well, you get up to a certain level and suddenly you're blissfully happy now. No more problems. No. <laughs> <laughs> Having a reasonable sum of money means that it reduces the, the problem of worrying about where the meal is going to come from and that sort of thing. I think that that's what's the, the crucial issue here, I don't. I know there is this very famous study from a behavioural economist who said, "Well, if you get up to fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, your aspirations in life sort of level out." I don't think it's quite right. I think what you can say 
is that once you get a certain level of money behind you, you don't need to worry about food or transport or education or healthcare, that sort of thing. And if you're in a society where you get it all anyway, in the case of, say, healthcare, where there is no risk at all of personal bankruptcy due to a hospital bill, then obviously that that helps to ease your passage through life. And that's what we see in these Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Uh, Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Australia's place (laughs) in the ranking. Uh, Now, we've hit 12th, according to this report, two spots behind uh, New Zealand, (laughs) uh, interestingly. So why do you think we ranked in that spot as, uh, you know, as our country, as our citizens feel? Well, we're we're still doing well at number 12. Okay, we're we're not there at number 10, but uh, we're, we're still doing reasonably well. And, I, and, we, and certainly when you look at the world's problems, we are an oasis of tranquility in an ocean of turmoil and squalor. So when you look around the world, the countries that we've identified are ones that, where life is reasonably good. It, it's certainly not perfect, uh, but it's reasonably good, whereas if you're in places like Africa, et cetera, then you will ha- certainly have real problems to cope with. So we're, and we're lucky. So we have done very well, I think, overall, even if we're not in the top 10. Yeah. Well, conversely, we do see that some of the unhappiest citizens, um, according to this report, live in places like Myanmar, Afghanistan and Yemen. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think is happening in those countries? You know, obviously a lot of them are war-torn, but what's affecting their overall happiness as citizens? I think just the daily struggle for life. You know, if, if you're in Myanmar at the moment, formerly Burma, um, you know, life is pretty grim. You've got the military taking over there. Yemen, which we never talk about, right? But that's had a terrible war. It's one of the worst wars in recent memory, which, by the way, explains why there's a lot of antagonism towards the US in Africa over Ukraine, because a lot of African countries are saying, well, you guys are focusing on Ukraine. What about Yemen? You're actually arming the country that's causing the problems there, which is Saudi Arabia. So a lot of people are saying, well, you just worry if it's white people being killed. If it's Arabs or Africans, you don't worry. Right. So there is an element of, of, of hypocrisy, perhaps. But you've got this Yemen, numbered 132 in that list, and of poor old Afghanistan, 146. You know, they've got immense um, problems of poverty and wealth, disease, et cetera. So it, it, life is pretty grim in those countries. What I find intriguing, by the way, is the link between happiness and longevity, which right. is not covered in this report. No. Uh, but it is interesting that, uh, and this comes up in the debate over healthcare, that if you look at Australia, the United States and Japan, the country that spends most per capita on healthcare is the United States. The right. place where people live l- least is the United States, whereas the Japanese, uh, ironically, live longer and spend per capita far less on healthcare. So it may well be the Japanese are very smart in how they live their lives and the food that they eat, the exercise that they maintain. So healthcare expenditure is just one factor in longevity. It's an outlook on life and how you choose to live as well. I think that the value of this report for me is that it shows this mismatch between economic wealth and happiness. But as I say, for me, it's difficult to define what constitutes happiness, but it does give us a broad indication, if you like. The trend is clearly there. The countries that are spending the most money on defence are not necessarily the countries with the happiest 
citizens. That That's your basic problem. Yeah, right. And I guess a nation's going to look at something like this report and go, oh, okay, there are lessons in this or is it kind of just going to float away into obscurity? I fear it'll float away into obscurity because a lot of people are really not that interested in, in reading big UN reports, etc. That's why I'm so glad this guy, Lawrence Whitner, um, has decided to summarise some of it into an article. Uh, and I hope the article gets plenty of publicity because I think it, it certainly shows up the value of this UN uh, report. But my fear is that we get so many reports from so many locations uh, that people are just overwhelmed with the information. But the broad trend is there. If you spend a lot of money on defence, you can't uh, feed your people, can't house them, and et cetera. So the warning is quite clear, and I think it's a very valuable report to have. I might also just say, by the way, that we're, we're talking about sustainable development. This is another thing that gets neglected in this country, that um, the United Nations has created a series of sustainable development goals, uh, which are a blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. And they address the global challenges we face, including poverty, inequality, climate change, environmental degradation, peace and justice. Australia has signed up to these, but no politician, as far as I can tell in Australia, ever talks about sustainable development goals. There's no election campaign. You know, we're sitting here with an election campaign underway at the moment. No politician is talking about sustainable development goals. So that's an example of, of the UN coming out with brilliant ideas to which Australia has subscribed and then ignores. Yeah, you wonder what the uh, binding agreement is and that there is none really, is there? Well, they're fascinating uh, points to consider, Keith. Thank you very much for your insights. Looking forward to next week's episode of Global Truths. Thank you. Listener.